Hello and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications and geographical research. Today we're in conversation with two leading academics from the RGS IBG Development Geographies Research Group, Dr. Sriashi Dasgupta from the Jindal School of Government and Public Policy at the OP Jindal Global University, India, and Dr. Jess Hope from the School of Geography and Sustainable Development at the University of St. Andrews. Thank you for joining us today. Hi. Jess, I wonder if um, you could start by outlining what work links you both together. Yeah, sure. Um... So Shirashi and I are both committee members of the Development Geographies Research Group, which is a big and active research group in the RGS, and it was formerly called the Developing Areas Research Group. Um, and we both started as postgraduate representatives, but I am now chair and Shirashi is now a much valued committee member. Um, and yeah, we are a large research group. We've grown to nine committee members and we're just about to advertise for some more postgraduate reps who might be keen to work with us in response to Black Lives Matter. Um, And we do a lot of work on development geography in the UK, spanning both engaging school students and university students and academics. Um, Would you like me to outline a little bit about what we do? That would be great. Thank you. So we do, like all research groups, we're involved in the RGS IBG annual conference and we sponsor a number of sessions and usually hold a large um, DevGurg sponsored roundtable as well. We also hold a number of student events. So recently we had a large careers event at the RGS in London, focusing on careers that stem from the critical thinking and critical debates of development geography based mainly around social and environmental justice. Um, We also offer travel funding, which um, postgraduate students should look out for. We're going to launch that again, start advertising that in spring. We also do a little bit of work engaging life beyond research. So we held a large event in 2018 with um, NGOs working in Latin America, bringing together academics and NGOs at the RGS. We are setting up a new early career network that goes beyond the UK to try and link development geographers from the global south to development geographers in the global north. And we're also um, currently working on care in the academy with the, the Gender and Feminist Geographies Research Group, trying to develop better policies to support those with care responsibilities in academia. And then finally, we have a number of prizes. So we offer an undergraduate dissertation prize. We have launched an early career paper prize with the um, International Development Planning Review Journal for the for conference papers. And then the prize that we're talking about today, the David W. Smith Memorial Prize. So, yeah, we're busy. We're busy. <laughs> Lots of prizes. Yeah. <laughs> and we love giving prizes. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be music to undergraduate and postgraduate ears. Um as the chair of the Dev Group, uh, what will your research group be presenting on in this year's online RGS annual conference? Yeah, we um, well, we're sort of just readjusting slightly to the postponed um, conference because of 
coronavirus, but we're really excited by the theme and by the chair, Professor Uma Kathari. And we've sponsored a number of really interesting sessions. So the ones that have reconfirmed for 2021, uh, we have a session on intergenerational boundaries and migratory borders run by Tanya Bastia and Matthew Wallstrom at the University of Manchester. One on trafficking and borders by Ayushman Bhagat, um, who's in Durham. And also a brilliant and fascinating sounding one on digitising geographies of Indigenous folklore, which is going to focus on colonial and decolonial praxis. And that's by Dumasani Moyo and Deborah Dixon at the University of Glasgow. So those are the ones that have reconfirmed. And then we have got a large roundtable that we're currently in the process of reconfirming that's going to think about um, the environment and borders around the environment, the sort of development environment borders, both as a kind of empirical and theoretical border. So we're really looking forward to it. And that's under the chair's theme of borders, borderlands and bordering. Is that is that correct? Yes. Yep. Great. Um, Shriashi, uh, Jess has just mentioned the David W. Smith Prize, among, among many others, um, which is available to undergraduates and it will be relaunched this year. Could you give a little detail on what the new entry requirements, parameters and, and deadlines are? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, the David W. Smith Prize is actually for the lower sixth and year 12 students uh, from across the UK. And uh, this year, uh, we are relaunching this in a new format. And uh, we are really excited about this because it is going to be a digital mapping competition this time. And the theme is going to be on the coloniality of cities and the built environment. And uh, the competition basically, uh, you know, aims um, to map place-based stories from cities of the global south to understand how colonial rule continues to shape cities. Um, so essentially, we are encouraging students to use uh, screenshots of Google Maps, uh, Street View, or any kind of open source, um, you know, mapping um, softwares where they can uh, submit three images to us as a part of the competition, exploring uh, any topics around the built environment. It could be streets, it could be infrastructure, it could be monuments named after um, colonial rulers um, who built or discovered these places. Um, so all we ask for is basically three images and there has to be a title and description no longer than 300 words uh, that will explain what these images are. Um, we are interested in uh, learning more about the colonial history of the city that the students are referring to, um, you know, what led to um, that particular, uh, you know, statue or building or street name that they are referring to, any kind of history that they have researched on. Um, and, uh, you know, they can talk about uh, the politics of the city and these uh, contemporary sort of built environment around them. Um, so we are basically interested in, you know, what can the story of these places tell us about the city? So the submissions um, for this year, uh, you know, we we will circulate and uh, put the email address um, on our social media platforms, on our uh, Development Geographies website, where students can um, submit their entries uh, via the email address um, in a in a PDF or a JPEG format, and uh, we are we are going to launch the competition uh, this week. Fantastic. Can I ask a really basic question? If um, a student was to uh, try and enter the, the, the competition, 
how would they do so? Is it is there a, a, a Twitter feed or an email address or a website to go to? Yes. Uh, so the email address is uh, dart.competition at gmail.com. And we will publicize the email address on our uh, Twitter platform, on Instagram, on Development Geographies uh, web page uh, and the RGS website as well. So there'll be multiple places where we will publicize the email address through which they can submit their entries. Great. Uh, Shriashi, as a professor on urban and uh, labour geography in the global south, do you specialise um, by region or by theme in your own work? Um, yeah, I specialise by both. Um, and, you know, I recently completed my PhD um, from the University of Cambridge um, and my dissertation project looked at um, you know, accommodations in cities of the global south. It is uh, titled The Accommodation City, Private Low-Income Housing and Urban Space in Dhaka and Mumbai. Um, and I looked at emerging forms and processes of temporary accommodations like dormitories, uh, you know, mess housing, room sharing arrangements for low-income workers in uh, Mumbai in India and Dhaka in Bangladesh. So I did that research to understand, you know, who lives, you know, who builds and who governs some of these private housing spaces um, and different typologies of temporary accommodations that we see in the city. And how do you engage with questions of uh, place and space in your research? Um, those two words are quite key now on A-level geography. So it'll be interesting to, to know. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, those two words are also very key to the competition because, you know, we we um, conceptualized it around the A-level curriculum, uh, keeping in mind that students are doing some of these um, conceptual uh, learnings around place and space. Um, and uh, for instance, in my own research, uh, you know, historically, I also look at, you know, what do colonial cities reveal about uh, questions of spatial transformations? And uh, I looked at two specific kind of housing typologies in Mumbai and Dhaka during 19th and 20th century, um, essentially called the Chols, which is the worker housing in Mumbai, and uh, the Mess Bari, which is also a boarding house um, typology in Dhaka, uh, to understand questions of spatial practices, but also to emphasize on the logics of segregation and hierarchy that we see um, existing uh, in our in our post-colonial city, um, you know, that, that transitions from the colonial times, right? So I looked at, you know, how, how people were housed in extremely poor living conditions with less access to basic services. Um, and some of the questions that emerged uh, from my work was how did, you know, workers live historically, where and which parts of the city do we find majority of the workers housing, who build worker housing in, in these cities, and what are some of the existing, um, you know, arrangements of uh, private low-income uh, rental housing for workers in the city. Um, so much of what we actually see in cities today is shaped by that history of colonialism um, and its influence of, on urban development. So in this competition as well, we, we are encouraging students to think about, you know, uh, the built environment in terms of um, either the infrastructure 
are, or maybe the street names, heritage buildings, monuments that can help us figure, you know, where we are. Um, also, in a way, talk about where we have been uh, to understand, you know, uh, where cities are heading. Um, because how how these spaces are changing um, in a way uh, helps us understand, you know, what cities in the global south are and what they will become. Um, so the built environment um, in in how we have conceptualized in this competition, you know, takes its form and shape from from different kinds of names, uh, the street names that we see um, based on uh, people, places, events that must have happened um, situated within this larger context. Harry, can I just jump in there and say something quickly just in response to Shirashi? Of course. Well, I just want to say, first of all, huge thanks to Shirashi, who has done all the work in developing this prize. But I think it's also clear from what she's saying that the way that the prize, first of all, it's been designed to respond to the skills and technologies of school students and school geographers, but also it is informed by academic geography. So it's also a really interesting way that school geography and academic geography are coming together in some of the themes and questions of the prize, which I think is um, exciting and shows the way that our research group, the committee members are also shaping you know, that there is this dialogue between school geography and our prizes and our own research, which I think makes it all stronger and more interesting, hopefully. Definitely. It's really exciting to hear. Um, Jess, can we turn to your recent uh, publications now, um, uh, which are on the early uptake and implementation of the UN's Sustainable Development Goals in Bolivia? Um, Why are you so critical of the SDGs? Well, I'm very interested in the environmental remit of the SDGs, seeing as there is such an urgency to um, address uh, climate change, but also kind of pathological logics of development that are causing um, our environmental crisis. Um, But I was interested in what was happening in Bolivia because it's a context where the country has signed up to the SDGs and is achieving their, is working towards the SDGs at the same time as intensifying resource extraction, including fossil fuels. So I wanted to understand how some of these contradictions um, can happen and how you can have that kind of a situation. And also to think about, you know, sustainable development has long been critiqued as being incredibly vague. Like we don't actually have a clear definition of what sustainable development is or how to measure it or how to kind of say, yes, this is achieving sustainable development. Um, And there's been lots of discussion about how best to define it. And and, and in one of the papers published in Transactions, I'm looking at the way that we can define sustainable development by thinking about the way that it's sort of materializing from existing development discourses and policies and networks and partnerships and organizations and even landscapes. So the way that it kind of avoids the landscapes of resource extraction. Um, And so in that paper, I'm trying to think about the geography of the SDGs and the way that particular places and people and protests are excluded from the SDGs. Um, So thinking about the way that actually in a place where there's a very conflictive politics of the environment, thinking about um, resource extraction, what it's doing to particular territories and landscapes and habitats, um, the SDGs somehow managed to neutralise and depoliticise that. And is there a history of um, resource extraction in Bolivia? There's a long history and there's a long colonial history, actually, of mining. I think um, a lot of gold has been taken out of, of, of Bolivia and shipped off to um, 
the colonies of the colonial empires of Europe. But there's a brilliant book called The Open Veins of Latin America by Eduardo Galeano that talks about that history. So yes, Bolivia has a long history of mining and also fossil fuel extraction. But the issue is that there it is environmentally um, devastating. And and so to, to claim that within sustainable development is massively problematic. And actually what I'm arguing in the in the piece for transactions on the anti-politics of sustainable development is that it's a way to, un- by thinking about this kind of assemblage of the SDGs, is a way to understand how very unsustainable uh, practices and power dynamics and partnerships continue within the sustainable development agenda. And that's why I'm so critical of it. Great. Um, and what what is anti-politics and how does that feature in um, the Bolivian context or, or your work? Um, so anti-politics I've taken from a book by James Ferguson called The Anti-Politics Machine. Um, and it's a way to understand how, for me, I've used his phrase to understand the way that the SDGs neutralize and depoliticize the conflict of politics of extractivism and sustainability in Bolivia. So actually, although there is such a contested politics over what sustainability is, over what development should be, um, over how we not just treat, but how we know and understand the non-human and our relationship to that, the STGs managed to completely neutralize and depoliticize it. They they managed through this assemblage reading that I have um, taken on. They have managed to sort of sidestep um, this very conflictive protest, the conflictive protest geographies around extraction, to kind of make the STGs a much more straightforward kind of well, as you can see, kind of goals, indicators, targets based approach that misses out a lot of the politics. Um, you know, for example, a very straightforward reading of the SDGs is to see that it's about consensus between states, private sector and civil society. But it doesn't really attend to the fact that we all know that there are power differentials between states and civil society or between a transnational corporation and civil society. And what it doesn't recognise is that there is conflict between those groups, especially around the environment. Um so, yes, I'm looking at James Ferguson's understanding of anti-politics, and I see that in the STGs, how they're operating in Bolivia. And am I right in thinking that your work uh, involves a teacher, Grace Healy from Hewitt Academy, who was a recipient of one of the RGS Innovation Teaching Grants? Yeah, so um, actually I'm realising how much of this project has been funded by the RGS. Um, Grace and I um, applied for one of the um, innovative teaching grants, which I would massively recommend to people out there as a way to think about how your research could translate into school geography. And, you know, to think about what we wanted to do was to complicate some of the teaching on the sustainable development goals and also to think about why geography matters. So actually we turned to Bolivia as a site of really progressive ideas about development in the environment and also really important this contested politics around resource extraction um, as a, and turn to particular voices in Bolivia to ask them about sustainability and to think about sustainability and sustainable development from their perspective. So we have interviewed a number of indigenous leaders, primarily from the Titnis territory and also from CEDAW, the lowland indigenous umbrella organization, and ask them about, you know, where they're situated in terms of sustainability, resource extraction, the STGs, um, and actually to remind ourselves and also to 
talk about it with students that they have their own agendas for land and place based around long running campaigns for territory um, that aren't easily slotted in to the SDGs and actually I've argued in a paper for area, are being undermined by the STGs. Uh, so yeah, it's a really exciting resource and we're just about to launch that too. Um, and it hopefully will be an exciting way for students to engage with sustainable development, but think about it, you know, in a place specific and also sort of, I guess, slightly contested way, thinking about the various interpretations of sustainable development that exist and the way that those play out. And also think about who we should look to as experts. And in this, we're very much asking these Indigenous leaders from lowland Bolivia, we're treating them as the experts in our reading of sustainable development. Sriashi, returning to the dev group, uh, this year the format for the entries for the David W. Smith Memorial Prize will take the form of a digital uh, format in 2021. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, it is a digital mapping competition. Uh, they they will use uh, resources um, like different kinds of um, street views and, uh, you know, screenshots of, um, you know, Google uh, Google Maps and images um, to, to enter this competition. But also uh, we are planning to... Um, post the entries on social media, use uh, Twitter, Instagram, and other um, web platforms effectively and uh, share their entries. Um, we are also planning to compile all the submitted um, uh, you know, entries in the form of a document and uh, use it as a resource, um, put it up on the Development Geographies um, website, engage with the RGS and circulate that widely so it acts as a resource for um, students and teachers. Fantastic. And that um, entry form is uh, going live at the start of this year, is that right? Uh, yeah, we, the competition will be live this week. This week, um, which is uh, the second week of, of January. Yes. And why did you decide to relaunch the prize? Well, there were two key reasons really why we've decided to relaunch and reformat the prize. The first is, although we always had really high standard of entries on the essay prize, it really did demand, you know, it was always from schools that were engaged and supportive of the prize. And what we really wanted was a prize a format that was going to be more accessible and taken up more widely by more of the brilliant school level geographies that we have in the UK. So so we have thought about the way that we could update the format also to make it more relevant and accessible to school geographers. Um, so we think that social media is going to be a way that that students could could uh, might be more interested and find more easier to access a prize, but also will be a format in which they can have a discussion with each other in a sort of in speak peer to peer about some of these themes, which I think is really important. The second reason is that we wanted the prize to respond to the changing world around us, um, specifically our commitments to act more in solidarity with the anti-racist um, politics of Black Lives Matter in the UK. So beyond the research that's been done by our members, both in the Global North and the Global South, we wanted other ways in which we could stand in solidarity with this politics. So of course there was the fall of the Colston statue in Bristol in June 2020, and that was the latest in a number number of protests against this kind of commemoration of those involved in the slave trade and the, the really violent 
um, politics of colonialism. So our new prize is asking students to investigate the ways that colonial history shapes urban geographies and really encouraging them to think and learn more about this history, which can be so lacking. I mean, personally, I never learned anything about the UK's involvement in the slave trade or, or as a Scottish person, nothing about Scotland's involvement. And it has had to be something that I've kind of investigated myself you know, so we really wanted to address some of that history and we're really excited about this prize and what students are going to present. We can't wait to see what they come up with. And finally, Sriashi, what is the judging criteria for the prize? So the judging panel will, uh, you know, comprise of committee members of development geographies um, who are leading academics in this field. Um, the panel uh, will look at uh, the winning entries based on um, criteria like uh, the theme, um, imagination, originality, um, of course, the quality of the photographs, and basically the development of the idea um, through the description of the photos. So two things that are important for students to keep in mind would be, you know, we are asking for three images, uh, but also uh, descriptions of 300 words with every image that they are submitting. Um, and these would be some of the judging criteria. Great. Well, thank you both very much for joining us today and for explaining the award. Um, I look forward to seeing you online later this year at the RGS conference. Brilliant. And thank you so much for having us on. It's been really exciting to talk about what we're doing. And I hope that um, those out there will help promote the prize to within schools and to students that they know. Yes, Harry, thank you so much for having us uh, today. And uh, like Jess said, we are really excited to see what uh, submissions we get from students, uh, especially because the winner would receive an RGS uh, certificate and a voucher of £100 from Routledge Publishers. Uh, so there are exciting prizes and uh, we will also compile them into an image-based uh, image uh, resource for archives and research. Thank you. A really important thing to finish on. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Harry. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. Be inspired and stay informed with the Society's wide range of resources, many of which are free. School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures, and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. Access our resources at www.rgs.org schools. <laughs>